0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1406.
1: Do it with passion or don't do it at all.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kids spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays, while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom pattern for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, calling in all the way from Hassel to Belgium, Sergei van Bockrijk, And I'm going to have you say your last name because I totally butchered my Flemish this morning, didn't I?
1: Uh, Van Bokrek is
0: the way to pronounce the around here. You you do it much better than I do. Thank you, Sergey. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. All right. Thanks for being here today. Sergey. started his career in the late 1980s as a journalist and photographer, reporting on endurance racing for European newspapers and magazines. In the mid-1990s, he left journalism for public relations and marketing, working in Formula One, the World Rally Championship, and at Le Mans, with brands including Marlboro, Lucky Strike, and Toyota. Since 2000, Sergei has been European PR coordinator for GM's Cadillac LPM, Corvette GT, and Chevrolet WTCC programs. He is having some fun around the world at some great tracks. He's a regular contributor to British monthly magazine Race Car Engineering and German monthly Sport Auto. And he is the co-author of the official Porsche Rennsport reunion program. That's cool. I've been to most of the Rennsport reunions. Today, he is here to share his latest book titled Works Portion 956, The Definitive History. It's the second title in publisher Porter Press International's Ultimate Series. So, Sergey, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little more about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles and racing?
1: Well, I always, when I was a kid, I always wanted to have to do something with motorsports and a racing career as a driver was well, basically went out of the window in eight seconds when I asked my dad to pay for a racing school. He said like, no. And that was the <laughs> yeah. end of that. So yeah. yeah. And then the next best thing or the next easiest thing was to get into, into journalism and to start covering it. So I joined a newspaper, a local newspaper here. Uh, on the general information desk and then frankly asked them if I could cover some motorsports uh, over the weekend, Uh, to which they agreed because they had nobody else doing that at the time. And we had this old racetrack uh, nearby, some five miles down the road, which was uh, pretty popular then. They just lost the Grand Prix uh, to Spa but they still had the German Touring Car Championship and some other great races. So I did that. And, and from that, uh, from there, basically things evolved, uh, I got more and more involved in, 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 media. And then one day in the late eighties, I decided to, uh, cover the WSBC, the World Sports Prototype Championship, as it was called at the time, now WEC these days. And from there on, my, I packed my bags and then got my cameras and my typewriter as it still was in those days. And traveled around the world and covered the whole uh, WSBC circuits uh, for various newspapers and magazines. And quite frankly, I haven't looked back yet.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a really fun career. And for those folks out there listening who love motorsports, the idea that you mean you can have a job going to races and covering races around the world, yeah, you can. Uh, here's a guy who figured it out. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is. Some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires smoking here on cars. Yeah, since you're around race cars a lot, so Serge, take the wheel.
1: Well, the, the one quote that I that I just recently saw and which is uh, which quite covers what I'm what I've been doing for the past uh, thirty thirty five years is when I was at my 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 uh my personal trainer which I have now since I've fifty I have to have that to try to get back in shape. And he has it in big on his wall and it says, do it with passion or don't do it at all. And coming from a former Olympic athlete, uh fourth in the London Decathlon Olympics in twenty twelve. Basically what it what uh what does it for me, and that's what I've always done. I wanted to get into sports car racing. I wasn't too really interested in, in F one or anything else. Although the, the walks of life took me there from time to time, of course, car racing was my thing, endurance racing, and I just stubbornly stuck to it. And it hasn't all been always been uphill, but I stuck to it. And uh, the same thing with the book I've now done, on uh, which I've worked for almost 30 years, is just I did it with a passion. I was still doing it with a passion, with a certain goal, which could be far away or nearby. There's really no time frame for any of the things that I'm doing. But yeah, do it with passion or, or don't bother doing it. I mean, there's no such thing as, as a half job or half work. And that's basically what carried me through, uh, through motorsports and which got me to where I am now, I guess.
0: Well, absolutely. And there's a great tie in here with racing because, uh, if you do anything in racing halfway or not with a, a full gusto, uh, chances are you're pretty sure you're not going to be in the front of the, the line and winning at the end of the race. So I love that, that whole concept. There's been a lot of people on the show before who've talked about, you know what, uh, do it right the first time or don't do it at all, because it seems like there's always time to redo it if you mess it up or you didn't go in full full bore. So that's a great quote. I love it. Let's uh talk about this uh, passion you have for cars. You talked about asking your dad to pay for racing school, and he rolled his eyes and said, I don't think so. But let's go back in time and have you share a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were indeed a, a race car
1: guy. I think that moment was in 1977 during Lamar, and I don't know how I got to listen to the French radio station. I think a friend of mine, its parents were, or one of his parents was French. You might have told me, but in, as I clearly remember sitting in my room, age 13, and listening to a French radio station. who covered Lamar, but like regularly, in Belgium, you had it like. Most of the time with with the hourly news flashes that they gave like a thirty second intro on what was happening in the race, and that was of course the 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 Lamar edition where Hurley Haywood and Jurgen Barth had issues on their works Porsche nine three six had had fallen back to like forty first overall or something, and then they started climbing back up the order. then Jackie had uh, troubles with his Porsche blew the engine was moved over to the Haywood Barth Porsche, and then the three of them raced all through the night, flat out in rain. To bring it back uh, up to the front with a clear mission, we rather you know, either we win this thing or we break the car, and that was something that got everybody. And Jackie Yates at the time was national hero here in the mid 70s in Belgium. And that had everybody going, of course. And on the radio, the French radio station I was listening to was called France Inter. They were going absolutely mad about it, reporting how the car was making progress during the night and how they clawed back their, their deficit, uh, from, from the Renaults, the French uh, Renaults, who then had issues and everything. It was very exciting. And in these days, yeah, that, you know, no live TV coverage on, on, on Belgian television here, of course, but the only thing you had was the radio. And I remember listening all night on my tiny little radio, not to wake up anybody in the house. And then listening through the night and listening how how Jackie Hicks drove like three or four hours nonstop and then during rain and brought the car back up to, to first overall. And then, of course, they had the, the famous issues at the end where they, blew a, where they blew a cylinder, which they had to disconnect. And then Jurgen Barth took the car back out for its final two laps in, in total agony with a stopwatch attached to the wheel. So we didn't didn't go too fast and not too slow because the car would only last another two laps and not three. Uh, and then they won the thing. And from then on, for me, it was like, yes, yeah, motorsport. That, that's, that's it happens, you
0: know? Incredible. I mean, you had me on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Just an incredible race. I'd, I'd forgotten all about that. I got to meet Jackie Ix, and I'm working on getting him on this show. He's a little hard to track down. He's still moving fast, even at this point in his life. Uh, but I got to sit with him for a little bit at Ren uh, this past year and mm-hmm. talk to him a little bit. And of course, Hurley Haywood's been a guest on the show a few times, but, uh, Yeah, incredible story. Uh, Fantastic. I can see how that would hook a 13-year-old into motorsports
1: for sure. It definitely did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about a a big challenge that you faced along the way, or maybe even a big failure. The most important thing of this story, though, has to do with the learning lesson and how you came out in a positive way on the other end. So share a story with us, would you?
1: Well, I think the one story that was pivotal in my life was when I had uh, a cardiac arrest on the eve of my 38th uh, birthday. And oh, my right, gosh. And I survived that and then went to the hospital for lots of uh, examinations and everything. And it, it took them a while to find out what it had been, uh, what had been the cause. And I found out that I had uh, the Brugada syndrome, and Brugada syndrome has been uh, discovered in, back in 1986 by a Spanish cardiologist called Pedro Brugada, who fortunately works in Belgium. It's like a, like a, a little defect to the heart, but the other, the, the other, the less popular name or the more popular name uh, of the thing is sudden cardiac death. So you don't know that you're born with it until, you know, the lights go out and it's usually too late. So I went to see him and he said, well, yes, you've got the, the, the syndrome that I discovered a couple of years ago. So we'll have to uh, implant you with a, with a cardiac defibrillator which I have had since. But the one thing what it did is it, it gave me time to reflect on where I'd been and what I'd done before it happened and what I still wanted to do after uh, afterwards. So it has learned uh, or it has taught me to not to waste time on things that are not worth losing time on and to get forward and and to, to separate the important from the non-important and basically have a more positive look forward, if you like, uh, on life in general and what I'm doing in in, in specific. So that that's wow. I uh, the most p- pivotal moment uh, in my life. But also that there is life after something like that, because I was racing at the time in, in touring cars in Belgium, and that continued afterwards until I had kids, and they of course eat it, ate away my budget. It's funny how uh, no they
0: do that, isn't it? Yeah,
1: exactly. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's where the sponsorship money went. So basically, you know, it, that that's the one thing to be to be you know to not not to lose too much time on things not worth uh, losing time on.
0: You know, and thanks for sharing a really personal story. I'm so happy that you came out on the, the positive end of that and how fortuitous that the uh, the Spanish doctor that discovered that challenge was in Belgium. I mean, how, how fortunate yeah, can exactly. you be? But-
1: yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I was diagnosed in a different hospital than the one that he works in. So, uh, And a friend of mine who was a doctor at the, at the first hospital, he said, oh, Professor Bugatti, he works in the, in the other hospital in Brussels. Go and see him at least for a second opinion. So went there, and that was, uh, and he said, "Well, we have to have surgery immediately." And this was in March two thousand and two or three, two thousand three it was. And he said, "Well, we have to have surgery immediately. I won't let you go. We will, uh, you know, set the operation theatre up for you tomorrow morning." He said, "Well, sorry, but I have to go to the Sebring twelve hours next week, so I promise I'll be back." <laughs> so he, he was quite reluctant to let me go, but he did let me go. So I went to Sebring and after to Sebring had the surgery.
0: You know, the surgery. You you remind me of my dad in a way. He was uh, in Nepal and was going to go on a hike up to uh, one of the earlier lower base camps of uh, Mount Everest. He wasn't going to climb Mount Everest, but he wanted to go up to one of those areas. And he had a heart challenge at that time and went to the doctor. And the doctor said, Well, you know, you've got to have a bypass surgery. You've got, you know, clogged arteries. And he said, Well, can I wait and do that after I hike up to this base camp I'm going to? (laughs) And the doctor oh, yeah. just looked at him like he was nuts and said, you won't make it to the base camp. Uh, you need to go and have surgery now. So a little bit of a, a definition of you and my father's attitude towards life. Well, I don't want this to get in my way. But the the bigger story that I think you shared here, I think is a very important for those of us who have not had to go through a, a near-death experience and that I love the way you say this is don't waste time on things that aren't important. And I've always believed that time is our most valuable asset. And and I love that. And it's, it's a bit cliche when people, and I've had plenty of people on this show that have been race car drivers that have nearly died in accidents, uh, come very close and and people, uh, even a guest of mine that was contemplating suicide and uh, uh, had a change of heart. And thank goodness, but, uh, you know what? It's so important, and, and it's a great lesson to share with everyone listening today, is don't waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter.
1: Absolutely. Uh, focus on it's what The one thing you, know, you can't buy in, in life is time. Anything else you can buy. You could even buy love, probably by the hour, but uh, yeah. time you cannot buy ever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when you're done listening to this great show with my guest here today, make the best of your day. Go out and do what you want to do. Don't waste time on all the other silly stuff. Let's have a little bit of fun and talk about the first vehicle in your life that was really important to you. What was that car? And maybe share a memory you have about that that ride. Maybe it was a bike.
1: No, well, actually, the first car I bought was a, a tiny little Opel Opel Corsa. Uh, Opel was, uh, or still is, a German manufacturer, which at the time was owned by, by GM General Motors. Uh, and that was as far as my my dollar stretch basically. So, I had this tiny Opel Corsa which was the kind of cars, it, I mean, they still make them but they've gone. Obviously, the even smaller cars are now quite big, but at the time it was so small you didn't get into the car, you just put it on. And that was the car that I uh, used to go to all the races all over Europe. So uh, I think it did like 250,000 miles on it, driving around Europe covering the races. I think the only part left original of the bodywork was the roof. Everything else had been dented and replaced, and accidents <laughs> and scrapes and this and that. But it took me, without a single uh, mechanical hiccup at all, almost 250,000 miles, that a 1.5-liter uh, turbocharged diesel engine, which I believe was originally made by Isuzu, a Japanese brand, which was at the time also owned by GM. It took me everywhere, flat out, all the time, and in those days, you didn't have that many uh, speed cameras uh, yet, especially not in France or in, or in Spain or Italy. It was quite fun. It was the car that basically helped me launch my my career, if you like, in, in covering the World Sports uh, Prototype Championship. Oh, cool. So Opel Corsa, that was kind of a little hatchback, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a tiny two-door hatchback. You know, I mainly sat in the back seat because of the long legs, but uh, <laughs> it, it did a job and got me from A to B and and, and and C and D without any issues at all. But also was I was glad that I after six years I could I could like sell it and then buy something bigger because you know at some point you want you want to be able to stretch your legs more or less.
0: I think so. Yeah, you're a tall guy. Well how about sellers or Morris? Is there a vehicle you've owned and let go that you really wish you had back?
1: No, not really. I've, I've always sold my cars back to the dealers when, when i bought the next one and then i've had company cars for a while so that was just you know this is your company car live with it but no i've never had any any, any remorse of uh about selling a car back to the, to the dealers Not at all
0: you're a fortunate guy i've had a lot of uh trails of tears here on
1: cars. Yeah, people
0: <laughs> that have including myself that'll let cars go well i would love to talk about this new book that's really why i wanted to have you here my friends at Porter Press International introduced us and said, you know, you should really talk to Sergey. This is a great book series. I'm a huge Porsche fanatic. That's my mark of choice. So this book, Works Porsche 956, The Definitive History. Tell me a little bit about why you selected this subject matter and what our readers could expect when they add this book to their library.
1: Well, I started it more or less around the same time I started covering sports cards. And the 956, of course, was the car, the, the the ultimate car in the Group C era, which ran from 82 to 90. And by the time I got started as a journalist, it was like almost past its heyday, uh, the 956 and, and then the success of the 962, which was also very successful in the U.S. on, on the IMSA trail. But I also thought it was not only the, the most successful car, but also the most elegant looking. And I bought a few books that had been published in 85, 86, 87 even on, on the subject, but they always stopped. There, Although the car was still going on and, and quite strong in 88, 89, 90, and on an average WSVC grid, you had like 40, 45 cars. Half of them were Porsches because Porsche were the only ones who sold their cars to, to privateer teams. Like Saab and Mercedes never did, Jaguar never did, Nissan Toyota sometimes did, but mainly in Japan. So half of the grid were Porsches. They all had great liveries, great sponsor liveries. I'm sure you can remember the pink Italia sports on the Lloyd Porsche or obviously the, the, the iconic Rothman scholars on the Work Porsche, Work Porsche. We also Canon cameras had, had a car. Uh, Repsol, the Spanish fuel company had a, a car. He had some, some great liveries in Japan. So they looked good. They were elegant and they were very, very successful. And I thought, well, why didn't I do a book on these cars when they have finished racing? Because then in 88 or 89, it was said, like, at the end of 1990, Group C will end, there will be a new technical regulation, and cars will have to run with 3.5-fleet F1 engines, and that would normally have been the end of the, the, the 956 and 962. So I thought, well, if I start in 89, I can be finished by, let's say, in two or three years, and I will have covered all the cars and their, their, their history, the racing histories and everything. And basically, you know, pick up where all the other guys left off, and when they published their books in eighty five, eighty six, or eighty seven, because for some reason nobody ever did a follow up on on his or her own book. But that, of course, was without thinking about the longevity of of Porsche racing cars. In, in ninety one, the uh, the WDSWC, the Sports Car World Championship, was then called, had seven new cars on the grid at the first round in Suzuka. Whereas one year before, they had 36 cars on the grid. in So they had to fill the grid again with old, quote-unquote, old Group C cars, which were, again, mainly Porsches. So the Porsches continued for another few years. And then they continued again in Le Mans. And then the rules changed, and the cars had to be open-top. So smart people chopped the roof of their Porsches, and they had to open-top 962s. And then when the regulations called for GTs, Porsche themselves decided to turn the 962 race car, or somebody else, Jochen Dauer, actually did, turn the 962 race car into a road car and then converted back to a race car. So all of a sudden, the 962 reappeared as a, as a GT car in Lamar and one Lamar in 94. And then one, of, one of the open top cars, one Daytona in 95. So it just kept going on and on and on. In the meantime, I just kept collecting data and, and information on cars and stuff. And then at some point I thought, well, why don't I make this the ultimate book and have like everything that can be said or found or, or written about these cars in the book. So the initial book then covers all 202 cars ever built and has the full story of each championship with race reports of every single race. Not only the world, or the popular ones, the World Championship or IMSA series or the German series, but also the smaller championships where wherever there was a car that showed up, uh, it's covered in the book. And this book now works 956 basically covers the story of the 1982, 83 and 84 world championships and the 11 car or the 10 cars that were used by the works team plus an 11 chassis they used for F1 uh, engine testing. So it's 800 pages and it only talks about 10 cars. But it has the full. It has the full story. The introduction, if you like, is the history of Porsche Motorsport. How Porsche Motorsport came about. How they started as a company in forty eight, nineteen forty eight, after World War Two. So those introductionary chapters are already, I think, a hundred sixty pages or something. And then you get the whole development, uh, all the wind tunnel testing, the engine testing. Everything is in there with lots and lots of pictures from the from the Porsche archives that I was fortunate enough to be able to use. And then it goes into the story of the actual racing with race reports and and, and all the technical uh, stuff on the on the different cars. So you can, in the, the data spec sheet, if you like, per chassis number, you can find which gear ratios they used in Silverstone and why. And what they did to the car in practice. And again, what they did to the car between practice and qualifying, between qualifying and race. And that it, it, it has all... Sort of nerdy details to it, like fuel consumption figures per lap and per qualifying session per ta
0: Wow, incredible! So. I mean, the the detail in this uh, the book and the, the the books is in fantastic. And I think of those Porsche nine five six, even the group the Group C cars. There was um, back in those days. It was right before I got married. I was married in eighty four, and they were racing those cars at Del Mar. Uh, around the fairgrounds there, and I remember I had a—I was doing graphic design at the time, and I had a a client, Jay David, and he sponsored a car that was uh, raised by John Fitzpatrick.
1: Absolutely, Racing. absolutely. Yeah. I met John last weekend.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, in fact, that car last year I think went up for auction. It didn't sell at the time, but uh, uh, I just remember thinking back in the day because Jay David. This was before he was arrested for his Ponzi scheme in investing and ended up in prison uh, along with Bernie Madoff, uh, that kind of a thing going on. But uh, I remember him getting me tickets to the race and getting to go and sit with them and go down to talk to the team and so forth. I thought, man, i died and gone to heaven. And I'll tell you something. My wife has never really been into cars, but I talked her into going with me, and she was so excited at that race. She goes, I think I like this racing thing. You know, being there and seeing the car, and that track was pretty slow. I mean, it you know, it's running around a fairground. It's not like watching a, on a real big track, but uh definitely fun. Well, I'll make sure I put a link on Sergey's website page here on the CarShout yeah! website where you can get these books, and this book in particular, it's absolutely fantastic. If you love old Porsches and racing, uh, this is a book that you want to have on your shelf. Well, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. When you want proven performance, there's one brand that's been around since 1938. That's Edelbrock, building the finest American-made performance products for the street and track. Edelbrock's products are designed and dyno-proven to deliver maximum results. Edelbrock has thousands of made-in-the-USA performance products for all makes and models. From their new ads 2 carburetor and innovative ProFlow4 EFI for your muscle car or truck. To superchargers for your daily driver and more, visit edelbrock.com to check out the latest products for your ride and when you're ready to check out enter cars yeah in the coupon code and get 10 percent off your order that's edelbrock automotive performance since 1938 you take care of your cars at com. All right, Sergey, we are back and I have a bit of an introspective question for you. I want to get into your head a little bit here. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, if you were actually manifested as a car, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a car, what would you be and why? Uh,
1: that would probably have to be a BMW or an Audi estate with a big turbocharged diesel engine. Solid does the job, still fast when it has to be, but usually, solid especially, that's probably the thing. It's probably like me, you know, I I just go. I'm not very fast, but I go when I get there, and I get the job done. And get it done. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I like it.
0: Nicely said. Well, we are entering what I call the last lap. You've been to many tracks. You know what that means. The white flag's out. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that BMW throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: I think it has to be when I was racing myself in touring cars. I was fortunate enough to, one year, do the Spa 12 Hours with Rob Huff, who later became Touring Car World Championship. Yeah. Uh, we had some issues, and he just, just, you know, I was bitching about some some issues that we had on the car, and he said, just drive around it. And that's basically, drive around it. Yeah, and that's basically you know, a good piece of advice. And also, whenever I have issues now with, with the next book I'm doing or whatever else I'm doing professionally, if there's an issue, we'll just drive around for a while and we'll see if we can fix it later. But don't, don't stop and, and, and stay with the problem. Try to, you know, to continue and then find a solution on, along the way.
0: Wow. Great advice. I like that. I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years?
1: I think as a journalist, I have this this national or this uh, I would say uh, natural uh, curiosity. I always want to know things, and I want to know why they are the way they are, or why they do what they're supposed to do. It's that, and also attention to detail, which has come along as as I was writing this this researching this book for now for 30 years now. Oh, books, yeah. D- detail, indeed. Oh, yeah, my exactly. gosh. <laughs> so, and, and always wanting to know more. I, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who just is watching TV without really watching it. And all of a sudden I see a documentary on National Geographic or Discovery or something, and I'll watch it. And, I'll, and then I'll keep on watching all of a sudden it's 4 a.m. I probably should have gone to bed. But uh, uh, I, I have yeah. this natural curiosity for, for things. I think that's something that also helps me in doing what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah, I love that concept of stay curious. and. One of the things that disrupts me when I'm watching movies or anything is I start thinking about how did they do that shot? Like, who's behind the camera? How did they back up? And then all of a sudden I miss the whole show because all I'm thinking about is how did they get the shot done? So I have to go back and rewind and watch the movie again to get the the plot. So uh, curiosity, it's good. I also said it killed the cat, but uh, I think it's great to be curious. (laughs) Do you have a, a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you find rather appealing?
1: Well, since I work, uh, still work in sports cars, uh, as Corvette's European PR guy, sportscars365.com is, is my favorite website to get information from what's happening around the world in sports cars. It's a relatively new website; I think it's been around for three or four years, but it, it's really, really well made. Uh, they've got information about everything, so that's like my one go-to source for information on what's happening in in, in my professional environment.
0: Very cool, sportscars365.com. Nice. I've had a few other guests recommend that site as well. Now, if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive or racing industry, living or deceased, who would that be?
1: Well, I've just returned from from three days at the Goodwood Revival. I've never been before, but that's where they launched the book. Oh, I'm uh, jealous. For those who haven't heard about it, I mean, think think of it as a gigantic time warp back to the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. It's historic racing around a historic track where everything... Is still as it was back in the sixties, and everybody has to dress in period dress and period clothing. So everybody, even the spectators, sixty or eighty thousand of them, they're all dressed like in the forties, fifties, and sixties, and everything is like that. You get the, your ice cream van is is the nineteen fifty three whatever British ice cream van. Your VIP shuttle is the Willys Jeep and so on and so forth. So everything is in period. It's an absolutely fabulous event for anybody interested in uh, in historic uh, motor racing. And the good thing is they really race hard. They've got their GT races driven by, I think this year they had like seven former Lamar winners. I mean, guys who won like three or three years ago. You had, you had Tom Christensen there. You had Miliani there. You had Emanuele Piro there. And these guys only know one way to drive a car, and that's just as fast as it go, whether it's an historic car or a modern car. So to take you up on your invitation to have a drink or a meal with anyone, I'd I'd love to meet Lord March, uh, the Duke of Richmond, who organises it all because it's his property They they organise it on. And I think he must be, his passion for motorsports must be immense. There is, of course, the the Festival of Speed in July at Goodwood and then the Revival in in September. So his passion for motorsports and anything automotive must be immense. So I'd really like to have a drink with him. Could be a cup of tea, but it may, may also be something stronger.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to get him on this show. I'm, I've tried, I've tried. I'm going to continue. I'm not going to give up. But it's a, he's a tough guy to track down. How about a book? Now we talked about your book, of course, which everybody should purchase a copy of that. And I'll put a link to how you can do that. But is there another book you'd like to recommend that you've enjoyed
1: reading? Well, for people uh, interested in sports cars, there's two biographies I'd really like to recommend. One is, is uh, John Fitzpatrick's. You mentioned him earlier in, in connection with the Jay David sponsorship. Uh, he raced over in the US. He's written his biography a few years ago now, and it's really, really well written. It's, it's very interesting. It reads very well, very easy. Uh, plenty of, uh, of very good pictures in there as well. And the other one is Hurley Haywood's uh, biography, which was launched, I think, uh, last year at at Pebble Beach. And that's also that's one of the very best biographies I've, I've ever written. It's lavishly illustrated. It, it goes into detail. It talks about personal things he'd never talked about before. It, it's a big book, and it's a uh, high-quality print. I don't know where you can still get it because I think it pretty much sold out at Pebble Beach and then the following week at Sebring. But if you can get hold of it, it's really worth uh, every dollar you pay for it.
0: Yes, I had Sean Cridlin who uh, helped write that book with uh, Hurley. I had both of them on the show. I'd had Hurley on this show before and Sean. But they came back when that book was launched and talked extensively. And I'll put a link to where you can get a copy of that book. I think they're still available or Sean may be having some new ones printed. But uh, all those books are fantastic, incredible books about people. And of course, Works uh, Porsche three, uh, 956, The definitive History, uh, published by Porter Press, and of course, written by our guest today, Sergei, is also available. And I'll put a link to that as well. All right, we are up to the checkered flag here. And I've got a question for you. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet and park it in your garage. But in order for this to happen, you got to play by my rules, and one of them is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with, uh, or your own race car. Uh, you got to keep it. You got to drive it. No garage queens allowed here. And here's the kicker: it's the only one collector car you can park in your garage. So choose wisely.
1: Well, I don't think that uh, difficult for me to select or choose from it. It would be a Porsche nine five six or nine six two, ah. definitely.
0: <laughs> okay, of course. Well, let's let's narrow this down a little bit because I want to make sure I get the right car for you. I would imagine there's probably one that kind of stands out for you. I think there are when you think about race cars and, and back in the day. Is there one in particular?
1: Uh, well, probably one of the the latter uh, was chassis uh, 962. So chassis number 011 through 016, they were the most evolved aerodynamically as well as on the engine side. Uh, they look spectacular with their the double tier wing. I think one of those would do. If I have to choose and if I, if I, if I would have the, the choice, then it would be the Chassis 011 because that was, that won the very last world championship race for Porsche in the WSBC back in Dijon in 1989. And that was the 39th world championship win. And after that, uh, Porsche didn't win any world championship races anymore. But that's become, uh, that was at the time quite unexpected, I think, uh, for them to beat uh, Jaguar and Mercedes. But it would definitely be that that one then.
0: So chassis zero eleven is that's the car uh, Heinz, and I'm going to mess his name up here. Heinz Jorgen Adamen. He didn't he convert that to an open top car?
1: No, that was that was no actually was that a he, different he, car. He, I'm thinking of. Yeah, he, he bought one of Jochen Dauer's cars, but renumbered it as zero zero nine slash eighty eight D or something. 011 was a car that Norbert Zingen created in nine five six nine six twos. Uh, further developed after hours because Porsche had officially retired from the WSPC at the end of Le Mans 88, but he was allowed to help out some some customer teams and then used was the favorite customer team. And so he they worked on the aero uh, and the balance of the car quite a bit and also on the engine side, fuel consumption figures uh, getting those right. And that was then driven by Bob Wallach and Frank Jelinski to victory in, in Dijon, France in, in 89.
0: Yes, okay. Now I know what you're talking. Yeah, of course, the great Bob Wallach. So, yeah. Oh my goodness, what a car! Nice choice, my friend. You're gonna have some fun with that. Of course, uh, oh, it's yeah. gonna be a little tough to drive on the streets, but we're gonna we're gonna put you on some tracks. That's the place to go.
1: Well, the lift's not too far from Zolder, so we used to have it once, just a few miles down the road. So I can I can put it on a trailer and take it there.
0: Ah, there you go. That sounds like fun. Problem solved. Uh, yeah, problem solved. I've never I've sat in some of those cars. Uh, a late friend of mine. Uh, had a couple old Porsche race cars, uh, Bruce Levin, uh, who Mm -hmm. ran Bayside, uh, had a couple of those cars and got to sit in his cars at his home and on the track, never got to drive one, but oh my gosh, just sitting in those cars was just magical. Close your eyes and take a breath and think about what those guys did in those cars. Wow. Fantastic. Well, Sergey, you have taken us on a great ride. I knew you would. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. I want to thank you for calling in from Belgium Most this welcome. morning. Thank you My for morning, me. you bet. Your afternoon. Could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off down the track in that beautiful Porsche nine sixty two?
1: Well, I, th- I think I think it would start again with with uh, the, the, the the quote, uh, the inspirational quote at the beginning. Do, do it with passion or don't do it at all. I think that's, for, for many people, I think that's quite important to to stay focused and, and don't waste too much time. Because, you know, life goes by in the, in the blink sometimes. And, uh, you know, just stay focused. Do one thing or don't do it at all. And do it with passion. I love it. Very nice.
0: And what's the best way for our listeners to keep in touch with you and what you're doing?
1: Uh, basically, uh, on the Portis uh, Press uh, website, you can contact me through there. Uh, for anybody who's interested uh, to want some to want to know, people who want to know some more about 956962s, so they can contact me through the the Port Press International website, of which of course you put a link on on your website.
0: Absolutely, I'll put a link there so you can get your hands on this book and follow along with Serge. I'm going to spell his last name for you. Actually, his first and last name for you. So when you go to the website, you can type in the right thing. Serge S e r g e last name is V a n b o c k r y c k. Serge, thanks for being. So generous today with your time and expertise. Thanks for writing this great book. It's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. I love having it on my shelf. You're welcome. And thanks for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you probably at the racetrack.
1: Okay. Thank you for having me. See you soon. You're welcome. Hey,
0: Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the CarGat yeah! TV show, it's a weekly visit to some of my past CarGat yeah! podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, CarGat yeah! TV is making its mark. CarGat yeah! TV is available on MAV TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find MAV TV on Direct TV, Fubo TV, FiOS by Verizon, or you can stream it through. Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to carsya.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up.